This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to a special bonus edition of the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark and this week I spent half an hour with Southampton Football Club Managing Director Toby Steele. We talked about ticketing, safe standing, the women's team, improvements to the stadium and the January transfer window. Toby also answered some of your questions. First of all, thanks for your time today, Toby. Much appreciated. No problem. For anyone who isn't perhaps familiar with the current management setup at Southampton, do you want to just explain a bit about your role, your responsibilities, and where that fits in with the, the current structure of the club? Yeah, sure. And, and I know you spoke with Martin um, Simmons a few weeks ago. So probably easiest way, Martin's got a stronger link in with the football side than I do. So in particular with Ralph, but also with the owners. So he, he really focuses on you know, that link with ownership, um, their input, their guidance, how, what they're looking for from a strategic point of view, but also working closely with Ralph on a day-to-day basis and in conjunction with, with Matt. And then myself, so I'm really focused on the business side. So work closely with David Thomas, who's our commercial um, director, Tim Greenwell, who looks after legal and risk. And then, yeah, for me personally, I've, I've got a finance background, so... The numbers are a big part of what I do day to day and all the other support functions. So really, yeah, the, the business side is my main focus, but particularly during the transfer window, I'm heavily involved working with Martin Simmons, Martin Glover, Matt Crocker, uh, the scouting recruitment team in terms of you know what, what players they're looking at and really what we can afford in the structure of the contracts, you know, players that we might be looking to renew during the season, advising on you know, uh, I guess the range of, of wage that we can, that we'd be looking for and so on. And, and sometimes just providing a bit of a sounding board to, to some extent in terms of if, if we're thinking of doing something, trying to add that independent input to say, okay, have we thought about doing this? So, you know, making sure we're not signing four right backs um, and, you know, nine centre forwards. So it's, it's mainly on the business side, but with some football input as well. 
and is that fair to say that encompasses the the match day experience and the the consumer experience when they they attend a game at St Mary's? Yeah, it does. So that's that's um, David Thomas. That sits squarely within his remit. But yeah, I, I, I have involvement in that and, and work closely and have and have some input as well. So we're really conscious this season in particular, where we've had fans absent from the stadium for yeah a, a full season and, and some of nineteen twenty as well. That that experience that we give when people come back is is the best it can be and we've had some challenges this season which I'm sure we'll 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 go over but uh yeah it, it does and it's really important that we're offering absolutely the best experience we can at the moment so one of the biggest off-field topics of conversation this season has probably been the ticketing so that seems like a, a good place to start we've had the issues with season tickets not being delivered on time those much publicized queues before the the Manchester United game where are we with that at the moment? Are there any outstanding issues that you're currently working on or are the, the transitions to the new systems and, and the new processes complete and you're you're happy with how we are at the moment? Yeah, certainly. Well, there's, there's still some work to do, um, particularly on the flow rates of getting people into the stadium. So the what we've, what we've found, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the history of you know, the Man United and the season tickets in a second, but what, what we're finding at the moment is people's, I guess behavior in terms of coming to the games and timings has changed uh, since the the pandemic. So what we're finding is more fans are arriving earlier this season to home games than they were in 1920, which is our sort of comparator. We can't compare back to last season. But then there's a lull and we've got more fans arriving much later. But this differs by stand. So the the, the areas we're still seeing a challenge um, is with the chapel stand. And the the average arrival time for the chapel stand is 18 minutes before kickoff this season. But the average arrival time around the whole stadium is 38 minutes before kickoff. So for, for reasons we're still digging into, the chapels, those who are coming to watch the game in the chapel stand are arriving much later than they used to and much later than the rest of the, the stadium. So we've done some, in this international break, we've, we've sent out some fan surveys and doing some research to find out why that is. Is that because... You know, driving into the city is taking longer with changes, you know, to, to the avenue traffic, for example. Is it people don't want to spend time milling around in concourses and therefore think, OK, if I get there late, I'll just come straight in and go straight to my seat? Or is it is it is it something else? They're just 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 behavior has changed. So we, we recognize that we've got to adapt to that behavior. We, we do encourage people, you know, because we are seeing queues to get there as early as possible. We've tried to put in some different barrier systems they haven't really they haven't really worked as we wanted because people are getting confused about where to queue. So you know, for for the chapel stand in particular, for next game against Leicester, we'll be just reverting to to normal queuing, people queuing to one turnstile, um, but making sure stewards are signposting people where there's a, a reduced queue that that somebody maybe can't see, rather than just joining the back of the the, the closest turnstile to or the closest queue to where they arrive to. So there's still work to be done, um, but in terms of the turnstiles themselves, the, the problem we had at Man United was we had a mechanical failure on half the turnstiles around the ground, um, which they'd all been tested pre-season. There were no issues at all, but for whatever reason on that day, uh, there, was a, there was a failure. That We spent a lot of time subsequent to Man United fixing that and testing it rigorously, and it's been absolutely fine since then. So flow rates getting into the ground, you know, in terms of speed getting through the turnstiles, no issues whatsoever. It, we are just now working on this, this arrival time uh, point. Again, just touching on, you mentioned about season tickets. Yeah, we, 
We had some real challenges with with those arriving from the supplier. I know a number of other clubs did um, around the around the Premier League as well. That's all been resolved now. Yeah, really regret that that took place, and you know, apologise to all fans that experienced difficulties either receiving tickets or getting into the ground or, or picking up replacements. But that's all been resolved now. You know, we've put in hand signage. Uh, when people go into the turnstiles, to you know, there was some unfamiliarity because it was a new scanning system, so we've, we've made some changes. So everything's working now, fine. The the last bit for us to just work on is that is that queuing and arrival time. And the ticket website, we had a few comments about that because that's a a new provider. I think in the last eighteen months, H- how's that transition been? And and the the user experience has been mixed for a few people. Is yeah, that still working? Yeah, yeah, and we're progress? aware of that. So Saints Voice gave us that feedback at the last meeting we had in October that that people, you know, for example, choosing their seat was was harder to do than it was under the old system. And we're, we've taken that feedback on board and we're looking at that to try and, and working with the provider to make sure that we can give the best experience possible. The, what, what I would say is what most people probably don't see, there is the, the old system had some, had some functionality that, or didn't have some functionality which we knew we needed to put in place and, and this new system does. So I appreciate it looks different and we're working on trying to, trying to improve it. But really please you know, say to all supporters, please, give any feedback you've got either direct to our supporter relations team or to or to Saints Voice you know that's that's their role is to collect this this information feed it back to us which they did at the last meeting so we're we're working on some of those challenges to try and to try and improve it in the summer you announced a two and a half million pound investment for improvements at St Mary's the most notable perhaps was going to be the installation of those big screens now I, I understand that work was going to happen during the international break has that been done is everything on schedule uh, it, it isn't, unfortunately. So it is still ongoing. Um, what we've found, so when we did the initial um, roof surveys, n- new screens uh, that we've got, you know, the, the roof can take the weight um, fine. But what we found when we started to do the the work was that the, the northern and the chapel stands in the 20 years that the, the stadium's been there, some water has leaked into some of the steel structure just through, you know, just over time. So it's taken us uh, time to, to remove that. And then we also need to now, as a result of that, because there's been some internal corrosion, we need to strengthen some of the steels at both ends of the, the stadium. So that work is now ongoing. So we are, we, yeah, we had, and it's very frustrating that they're not in place. We had expected them to be ready for Leicester. They won't be. Um, and we're looking now at January, February for those to go to go up. But it's... It, you know, I hope people understand we've got to get this right. Um, we can't we can't put up you know screens of that size where there's any risk at all. So we'd rather take our time. It is costing us some more money because there's some reinforcement to do, but um, we hope at the end it'll it'll be worth it. So it'll be uh, another month or two with the existing screens, and then the new ones will go up. And has the feedback been positive about the the rest of the improvements? Because it certainly felt at the the Aston Villa game, the stadium was looking fresh and clean, and you were able to get a, a drink and, and something to eat at halftime. It seems like that that investment has certainly paid off. Yeah, it has. Yeah, so um, working with Gather and Gather, who are our catering partners, we've you know tried to bring in new menus, uh, you know things like having you know the, the trying to reduce those queue times, which we know is an absolute frustration for fans in all stands. Is something uh, we've, we've really worked hard on uh, and, and that seems to be getting better. Never, never perfect, but, but you know, certainly the, the feedback we had again from Saints Voice was, was much more positive. We've put new screens in um, for people to watch you know, in the concourses during, you know, pre-game. We've got some big screens 
uh, in those concourses as well. So yeah, we've we've tried to make it a better uh, experience for fans coming pre-game. And yeah, of course we've got the fan zone as well. Uh, and then yeah, when the two big screens go up either end, that will be that that work complete. So yeah, we're pleased with how it's gone so far. But yeah, very frustrated we haven't been able to just do that. The, the biggest part, <laughs> which is the the two screens at the end, when they go up, then yeah, we'll be really really happy. But until then, still some work to do. Now, safe standing areas are going to be introduced at Chelsea, Spurs, Cardiff and both the Manchester clubs from New Year's Day. These are going to be the first clubs in the top two divisions of football in England and Wales to allow standing in the best part of 30 years. Is that something that we've looked into? And uh, Joe Stanley Smith has asked, how much would that cost to implement at St Mary's? Have you you done a feasibility study around that? Yeah, so um, we know it's coming. So... You know, the, the Sports Ground Safety Authority regularly do inspections with us and we work closely with them and, and persistent standing is always highlighted as being something that we need to address. And But that's not unique to St Mary's or, or, or us at all. Um, so we know it's coming. We're, we've got to, or, you know, we've tried ways of uh, stopping people standing, but it's difficult for stewards to ask you know, 4,000 people to sit down. Um, as soon as <laughs> one sits down, um, they stand up again. So we know that, that people want to stand, but it's a safety matter. And, and, you know, any change that we do will have no commercial benefit for us as a club at all. It'll be, you know, one one seat removed, one rail seat installed. So we haven't yet looked at the the cost of doing it because we, we need to work out actually where we would change. So we know... The northern home and away sections and itching north is where we have the the persistent standing. So those would be the prime areas. But we've got to work out whether we would do it for all seats. We recognise that not everybody wants to stand. So it won't be a universally popular decision because some people will want to stay seating. So then, you know, we've, we've got to consider which parts of those stands we would change. And then are there any parts of the ground, any other parts of the ground where we may want to create a standing area for it to be more vocal you know we again the the northern is generally the the noisiest end so is do we, if we want to create more noise around other parts of the stadium would we put standing elsewhere so there's lots of things to consider we recognize it's coming uh, it's just a matter of when for us and we're going to watch with interest the trials with the other premier league clubs and, and just keep talking to the the sgsa around at what point we we need to do this now, as far as ticket options for fans attending the games, Chelsea have announced that their season ticket prices, I think, are tripling next year for one of the stands because they're installing a new concourse and some padded seats. It sounds like a similar situation with the, the Kingsland stand, although it wasn't quite £4,000. How happy are you with the range of, of price options available to people coming to matches? And do you think that's had an, an impact on the attendances this season? Because the average attendance is, is still under 30,000 per game. Is there room for improvement there? And is that something that you're looking at? So in terms of attendances, I think what we've what we've seen is, you know, we obviously analyse it around the ground. We've seen a small drop off, which the, I think it was the Football Supporters Federation did a, a survey of all fans. And there is a number who have just said that, you know, while COVID exists, they're just not going to come back to football. So um, we're talking sort of six or 7%. So I think we're feeling that, a little bit, but as as all clubs are in terms of the the price range, yeah, we are comfortable. So you know, if you look at Leicester um, match coming up in in early December, we've got prices ranging from fifteen pounds to sixty pounds. So I think there is a price point for everybody um, who wants to come, just you know, from from a general admission perspective. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm, I recognise you know the change we made in the Kings and Stand, and, and actually the the sales of those have been very strong uh, in that uh, that new area we created. So yes, I am happy with the ticket pricing. Um, I don't think you know if we're, you know the the sort of two and a half thousand spare seats we've got. Um, I don't think that's necessarily linked to to ticketing, but or to, or to pricing. Um, but it's something we keep an eye on, and you know we do we do monitor you know what what price we charge for particular games so for example if we suddenly get access to to more seats for the Leicester game if Leicester don't take their allocation we'll we'll put those uh on for sale and generate a, a very a very good price so we are trying to be flexible and sort of be a bit more dynamic with our pricing but you no know, at, at the moment we're we're comfortable comfortable where we are you mentioned covid there briefly um next question how is the club financially and how is that post covid recovery going so yeah, financially we're in a in a stable position. Um, the the total cost to the club is now getting close to forty million um, since COVID first came in, and you know that's a combination of obviously no no fans in the stadium, no events in the stadium for a whole season or, or a season and a quarter, and include nineteen twenty, all of the costs associated with uh, testing, with travel, just you know. Uh, refunds to broadcasters, all the well-publicised elements. So we're, we're up to about 40 million in total cost. And I don't think there's any business that can absorb that sort of cost particularly easy and not, not see any impact to the, to the club. So it will, you know, it has had an impact on the timing of certain development plans we've wanted to do um, at the stadium and the training ground. Doesn't mean we're not going to do them. It's just, we've, we've got to be mindful that, you know, that's, that's a big sum of money that we were, you know, not expecting, not expecting to lose. I think the other the other bit that has been interesting for us is the what's happened to the transfer market around Europe, excluding England. Um, so, you know, players that we have sold in the last two summers, we've we've got very very low fees for, or in some cases none. And I think we're probably you know conservatively another ten million down in terms of transfer fees that we maybe would have expected to have received that that we didn't because. In Europe, those you know many many clubs are in a far worse financial position for us and just cannot afford to pay transfer fees. Uh, you know the, the inquiries that we've had for the last two summers from Europe have all been about loans, not even covering the wages of uh, of the players they're interested in. So we've got to take that into account, not only historically but going forward as well. That I think it's going to take a while for that European market to recover. The other news this week, of course, is that the Premier League have agreed a new six-year rights deal in the United States with NBC Sport. Does that excite you, or does that add extra pressure for staying in the league? Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't add, uh, add any extra pressure. Yeah, it is really exciting. The Premier League is, you know, the the, the most watched league around the world. Um, the US is a prime market for uh, for the Premier League to expand into. So, yeah, I think it's great news that that. That six-year deal and, and that commitment um, is there from from the US. And from our perspective, you know, we've got international partnerships with um, clubs over there, and this just gives us another opportunity to to help grow Southampton. Um, you know, we're mindful of, of our our place in the in the yeah, I guess so the the attractiveness of clubs around the world. You know, but but we're like any other club. We want to grow our fan base. Um, we want to expand into into new territories not about selling shirts it's about you know grow, growing the club and, and awareness and 
anything like that the the Premier League are able to do um, and you know tournaments over there is, is great for us as a club because it will it will help us grow and eventually you know we would see that as being greater revenue generating for us which which can only be a good thing in terms of you know on pitch performance which is ultimately what we want to try and maximise. Let's talk about the current sponsorship deal with Sportsbet. .io, which has several layers to it, it seems. Is that a relationship that you're particularly keen to grow as a club and, and work with them as a partner? Yeah, we are. The, so, you know, Sportsbet stepped in at short notice and, uh, you know, we've, we've got a great relationship uh, with them. They're, you know, they're, they're here uh, for a, a number of games per, across the season. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a relationship which is working really well. Um, you'll have seen uh, that they've donated uh, two bitcoins for for you know fans to choose what they how they spend it um, around the club. So they are interested in doing different things with the club. It's not just uh, right. We're going to pay you some money and stick stick our logo on the front of front of the shirt. Um, so yeah, we it, it's a relationship that that seems to be working really well and uh, for both parties. Can you understand why some fans are concerned about a relationship with um, with sports betting and, and cryptocurrency? Because perhaps they don't understand enough. I, I don't understand enough about it. I, I don't feel I've got the depth of knowledge to have um, a massive um, debate about it. But can you understand why some fans are a little bit cautious of these kind of deals that we're doing as a club? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's... Uh... It's well publicised that the the government are doing a review into betting sponsorship in total, and we know that other countries around Europe have, have banned betting. Uh, so we're we're watching that with interest and waiting to see what the UK government do. Um, we know there, you know, all clubs have betting partners in some form or another, and but it isn't just football. You know, we we're aware that there are a number of other sports that actually are probably more reliant on betting than than football. But yeah, I, I do understand that that concern and. And, you know, fans should, I would hope you rest assured, it, we didn't, you know, it, it, it was a decision we wrestled with as a, as a club as to whether this was the route we wanted to go down, but ultimately felt that, you know, it, knowing sports better as we did, we felt that it, you know, a responsible organisation that we could work well with together um, and has so far proven to be the case. Can you see a time where we would pay for a, a transfer with with Bitcoin? Could that happen, or could we be leading the way on this kind of stuff? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, it's not. I wouldn't say it's my my area of expertise, particularly not predicting the future of what might happen with with Bitcoin and how that that becomes tradable. Uh, there's there's no reason, I guess, to suggest it it, it couldn't be. But yeah, I think it might be a little too early to say uh, whether that that's a, a realistic prospect. You know. To, to occur for transfers, certainly. You talked in the summer about scenario planning in terms of transfers. One of the biggest questions that fans are obviously going to be asking as we head towards January, what's the plan? Is there a plan for when the, the transfer window opens? Are we going to be seeing some comings and goings? Um, so the, that, that planning is ongoing now. Uh, certainly at, at the moment, you know, we're relatively injury free. So I don't think, you know, if there is going to be any activity, it's going to be very, very you know, very minimal. Um, certainly, though, if we get you know injuries between now and first uh, of January, then, then that could change. But I, I think Ralph is happy with the squad that we've got. It is a bigger squad than we've had in previous seasons, and when everybody's fit, actually, the the decision become or, you know the difficulty is you know le- leaving people out rather than um, you know having no nobody to pick from or a, a reduced squad to pick from. So I think you know if we didn't have more injuries. 
and we brought more people in that that makes that that harder because of course now you know we're out the EFL Cup we've got the FA Cup still to come but there's a finite number of games so it's again about getting that balance right and making sure we're giving uh, people enough game time as well so yeah I wouldn't ex- I would say to fans I wouldn't expect much movement uh, it, but it, yeah let's Fingers crossed we don't get injuries in the next um, in the next few weeks. <laughs> I'd like to talk about the women's team just for a bit, if we may. Uh, at the time of recording, they remain unbeaten this season, and I've got no reason to suspect that will change as we go into the weekend. I guess they're very much on track. Can you just tell us about the long-term plan for the, the women's side of the game? Because it is a big growth area, and it seems that you, you've invested quite heavily in that, and it looks like it, it, it's on track and it's paying dividends at the moment. It is, yeah. So, you know, ultimately we want to be playing in the um, in the women's super league, and you know we're, we're we're having another good season. We've recruited well this summer, so uh, brought in uh, a number of players who have who have added to the squad. Uh, we've got a you know crunch game against Ipswich, who are the top of the league at the moment in uh, in the division, and yeah. But we want to keep progressing. We have invested heavily, as you say. Um, we're already, you know considering, you know, what would the structure be if we got into the next, you know, into the championship? What would it be if we got into the Super League? Um, you know, we recognise it's it's not a given at all. We've got to work extremely hard and you know, there's a playoff, even even if we win the division this season, there's a playoff to be had against the, the you know, Northern counterparts. So we're not getting ahead of ourselves, but ultimately our goal is to progress up the leagues as, as quickly as we can. Uh, and we're really pleased with the progress that Marianne and the, and the team are doing, and they're, they're a joy to work with. They're, they're such a great, uh, you know, group of um, staff and, and players, and it's yeah, it, it's it's a really exciting part of the the club. And you know, I would just urge any supporters who haven't yet been to see them um, down at AFC Totten, or you know, if you play a game at St Mary's, come along and watch because the you know the 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 you know watching games at AFC Totten it's alone is, is is brilliant. Get behind the get behind the team, you see absolutely amazing standard of football um, and, and some really, really good games. So yeah, encourage anybody to, to get down there. And commercially, they seem to be well supported as well. Different uh, sponsors coming on board and uh, different different offers and different deals. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it's an area of growth and development for us in particular. You know, when we talk to any partner, it isn't, you know, we don't just talk about uh, the men's team. It's absolutely okay. You know, this is, this is a you know, a partnership that's bringing in, you know, the, the women's and girls team as well and what can you do to help grow. And, you know, Virgin Media, for example, have been fantastic in that regard, you know, streaming games uh, last season. You know, they absolutely see where women's football is going and have been a, a great partner for um, for that team. And, yeah, any, every partner that we talk to, it's we expect them to play a part in growing that that part of the club as well. It's not just about men's football at all. We are... 100% committed behind behind the women's team and it's it's as important that they're successful as the men's team are. A couple of other questions from some of our listeners uh, just before we finish. Uh, Rob says, with the recent takeover of Newcastle, do you think the financial fair play rules are strong enough and will be enforced to stop Newcastle spending hundreds of millions every transfer window? And how much do the financial fair play rules come into consideration when planning budgets and transfers at Southampton? So, Quite a big question there, but the the Newcastle thing is going to be interesting once we get to January, I guess. Yeah, I think it will. And um, you know, the, the Premier League already have related party transactions rules in place. Uh, I know they're that's something that they're constantly uh, looking at to make sure that people are doing transactions at, at you know fair market value. Um, so I'm 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 comfortable that the Premier League have that in hand. And uh, but look, you know, 
Newcastle are able to spend what they're able to spend. And there's, you know, if they've got headroom within their um, profitability and sustainability uh, rules, then they're able to spend that. And that's, that's, you know, that's what's happened with other clubs. You look back at, you know, Manchester City 10, 11 years ago did exactly the same. Um, other clubs have spent heavily as well. So, you know, I think we need to be careful. Newcastle have had investment and they're absolutely within their rights to, to spend to spend it, uh, you know, that investment as they see fit on the team and, and on infrastructure. In, in terms of the club, you know, what we spend, yeah, we do, um, we have to be aware of um, financial fair play rules. So we have the Premier League's tests and then we have the UEFA tests. And if you, and if you breach those, then there, you know, there can be fines, there can be penalties. Um, so yeah, it does, you know, it's something we track on a monthly basis and, and particularly, you know, our, our spend during transfer windows or on player wages, we have to take it into account because if we don't, the, you know, we've seen um, other clubs just this week being fined for breaching fair play uh, rules in the championship. So yeah, it is something we're mindful of and, and we do track. Sammy says, what are Toby's thoughts on the council's pilot of the Voy e-scooters and how the club can facilitate greater use of these to reduce match day traffic and pollution? Which I thought was an interesting question. I'm old enough to remember when we used to get a free match day ticket when St Mary's opened for a bus. You could get a bus to the stadium for free. Is that stuff that you're working on with the council all the time? Um, it, it's quite a big topic at the moment about carbon footprints. And- yeah, I mean, on, on the wider scale, you know, we work with the council on our, on our overall transport plan. So we have to have a, you know, a transport plan in place. We want to reduce, you know, traffic coming into the city. And I spoke earlier about, you know, is, is the volume of traffic one of the reasons why people are getting to games late? So yeah, we, we do work with the council. You know, we've looked, you know, we used to have a park and ride scheme. We've looked at that again. Um, there is, you know, there's, there's such little take up of those, unfortunately, that they're just not financially viable for, for us to do so but yeah we do work with the council and you know on the scooters I think it's it's fantastic you know you see them whizzing past the, the stadium out the office window every day um, I'm not sure it's quite well how feasible it would be to reduce traffic on a on a match day particularly when you've got you know 30,000 people milling around the stadium and you, then you'd have scooters everywhere could be um could be an interesting mix but yeah I'm really supportive of what the council are doing uh, and yeah we're we're conscious that on a match day we do attract a huge volume of people coming in and it'll only get busier as Christmas shopping as well. So yeah, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that that, that people are travelling into the stadium in the yeah most environmentally friendly way and we're doing all we can and working with the council to, to make sure that happens. And Brian Welsh says, what are Southampton doing about increasing evidence of heading the ball uh, being a cause of dementia in retired players? Does the club provide any help to ex-Saints players who might be suffering from dementia? It's a, a big topic at the moment, and I appreciate you might you might not be able to answer that, but certainly one of concern. Yeah, so so we're watching, you know, the, the PFA we know are doing um, a lot of work and and that's sort of that that's the first point of call, I think, for for former players and 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 such like. In terms of the you know, the research we're doing. So the, the Premier League have introduced their own um, training protocols around the, the, the number of you know, high-impact headers a player should be doing during, during the week. So we're, we've undertaken monitoring of all of our uh, teams and make sure that they're not exceeding those, uh, those limits. And the, 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 sort of the outcome of that, that review showed that we're way under the, the recommended number. But we're also now taking part in a trial where we're, you know, evaluating with the under 18s and the first teams, you know, evaluating, you know, the, what is that actual impact of, of heading? So that, that 
we're doing, yeah, we're working with the Premier League and, and are happy to work with any uh, organisation to, to try and monitor this because, yeah, we recognise it's, it is something that's certainly historically or, or, or potentially historically has been, you know, a, a concern. But yeah, we'll, we'll watch with interest in terms of, you know, how the PFA and, and the results from their medical studies and, and what they come up with. And last question is from Matty, who I think is in Australia, because he says, good day. Uh, when's the Australian training camp happening? I'm going to kind of merge that into a question about the, the pre-season tours and, and how you choose where you go. Obviously, there's some restrictions around COVID at the moment, but is, is are the, the tours and where you go based on emerging markets? Is it a footballing decision? Would would Ralph say, well, actually, that's ridiculous. We're not going to travel to America or Australia when we can go to, to Austria. And when do you start planning for, for the next pre-season? So pre preseason is is planned very early in the season leading up to it. So so our our preseason you know COVID aside, our preseason plans would probably be fairly well firmed up by now for summer twenty twenty two. So there's a there's a mix to be undertaken. We we you know Ralph you know likes to take take them overseas primarily because if you're spending you know six weeks purely at Staplewood just training you know it, it you know changes as good as a rest. Um, so taking them into a different environment, doing different things is is it's a well trodden path. It's worked well for us in the past. Then also then the standard of opposition that you play, you know, starting off at a relatively low level and, and building up. Um, so we 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 would tend to do a training camp somewhere in Europe, but but we are open and we have been. You know, as you know, we, we went to China. We were shortlisted to go to the one of the US Premier League Cups a couple of seasons ago. Um, so we would be open to doing that, but it's it's got to be it's got to fit in it's got to be right. It isn't just about you know commercial gain, but that's obviously a part of it because there's you know any money that we bring in helps us reinvest back into the into the club. But it's about making sure that the at the end of the day the team are ready you know mid August to hit the ground running for that first Premier League game. So I'm not sure we would stretch us going as far as Australia, um, but you never know. But yeah, it's it's a case of just weighing up the options, and sometimes you get you know a late a late notice option um, to play somewhere, and we'll look at it and go, yeah, let's let's head out, let's head out to you know Spain and play play a couple of games. So, COVID depending at the moment, but there's there's always plenty of options. Toby Steele, thank you for your time. No problem at all. My thanks again to Toby Steele for his time, and I hope you enjoyed our chat. I'll be back with TSP regulars Steve Glenn and Dan this weekend, and in the meantime. Thanks for listening to the Total Saints podcast. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.